You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. This show is for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. Welcome to this episode of the British GT Fan Show for all the latest on the 2020 Intelligent Money British GT Championship and more. Join us in this episode for our review of the most recent championship round at Brands Hatch and a look ahead to what we can expect at the next round at Donington Park. The British GT Fan Show is hosted by Sarah Smith alongside resident British GT expert Nicholas Smith and Andrew Brightman and Gaz Jacobs of the British GT fans. After a busy weekend for me, uh, away from racing, we're doing things slightly differently this week uh, with the review of what happened at Brands Hatch because Sarah actually knows more about it than I do, as she does about most subjects, and we'll be honest. Um, So Sarah's going to take my role as British GT expert and I'm going to facilitate the discussion. You'd never we're... take your role. <laughs> Thank you. So we're going to start off with the GT4 teams as we usually do. And the first team, well, the, the lowest team in the team standings is Balfour Motorsport. It's finally happened. The only pro-am effort in the field is at the bottom of the points table. So Balfour Motorsport ran the number 21 car. Uh, Mia Fluitt and Ewan Hankey. Qualifying was, as you'd expect, uh, with a pro-am effort. The average was towards the back of the field. And then there was a puncture partway through the race, which which kind of put pay to any any success that they might have had. So what do we think about the, the Balfour Motorsport effort at Brands Hatch, guys? And Sarah? I think it was a pretty good effort. It was unfortunate that the puncture kind of ruled out any chance of uh, or ruled out the progress that they'd kind of made through it um it was always going to be difficult because um when you've got the am starting in with so many silver cup entries in gt4 um it does put a little bit of a disadvantage um but you know to be fair ewan kind of clawed his way back up and then unfortunately a shame to see them limping back in in yeah it uh, Mia, um, you know, ca- did a, carried out her own race in the first in, um, you know, handing over to Ewan at the, at the at the pit stop. And as Sarah said, it's just, you know, it's just a shame that the the punk the puncture just ended it for them like that. Other than that, they had they they raced their own, they raced. What am I trying to say? They they had their own race to to do. They they weren't they they weren't trying really to compete with the with the silver cup guys I don't think, and uh, they they know what they need to do to score the points to you know win that prime championship in GT. Would have been interesting to see how far you and made it after the safety cars because he yeah. would have caught back up and then um, obviously being the only pro, where would he got amongst all the um, silver drivers? It's a shame we got the miss that. Yeah, it was uh, an unfortunate 
an unfortunate event for for, for the Bauf guys, I think. Uh, next up in the standings in in the GT4 teams is Speedworks Motorsport, one of the one car teams. They were running the number twenty three. Toyota GR Supra GT4 for Sam Smelt and James Kell as they have all year. Uh, now the car finished 16th overall, uh, which is one fourth in class, just off the podium. Um, now I have watched the race once and watched part of it again and was just absolutely riveted by it. I seem to remember them fighting at the front towards the start, but Obviously, they, they dropped back a little bit uh, during the middle part of the race. So what, what do we think, guys? Um, they made the mistake of when the safety car came out during the drive at the pit stop window, they stayed out and stayed behind the safety car because they just gained the lead from TF Sport imploding um, after mm. getting attacked by GT3 cars. Um, so basically, that extra lap behind the safety car cost them the time. And they came out, I think it was, I think it was in fifth, fifth position. Yeah, it dropped them right back. So I think that it was it was a small little mistake, but they were um as I watched the footage back um yesterday, um the team manager said um they were because it was so close on timing when the uh, the pit stop window started, they weren't too sure if they'd be I'd be on time or not. TF Sport and quite a few of the other teams went with it. Speedworks were being safe and didn't. Uh, eventually cost them really. That and James James Kell had the the worst of stints, didn't they? Especially coming around Sheen Curve trying to get out of a GT3 car. So. I think they scared him, didn't they? He was like, oh, get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me most, and I did pop a tweet about this, was the fact that um, they were splitting the TF Sport cars up, which we've not seen a lot of so far in the season. The two Aston Martins have been really well matched and they've seemed to be hunting as a pack, as it were. Um through most of the races but there was you know very definitely a speedwork sandwich for a lot of the race um and watching the cars be so evenly matched overall was great because you did have proper cat and mouse going on um through a lot of it and say when it was on the screen i'd got my eyes that's where they were <laughs> i think it was possibly opportunity missed for for speedworks and for tf sport because they went into this race with no success penalty after donington park both teams and through their own issues speedworks with the pit stops and tf which we'll get on to later on um they they kind of both teams talked themselves out of a win fourth in the gt4 team standings is academy motorsport They've made some progress um, up the table as a result of a race win in class. This was for number 61 Ford Mustang GT4. Jordan Albert and Matt Cowley uh, sharing the driving. Uh, they had, well, <laughs> what can you say? I was going to say they had a strong race. Of course they did. They won it. Um, there was a bit of fortune involved in there with with, with competition having issues. So the Academy Motorsport Mustang. Charge you when I when I when I was trackside, I didn't even notice that the Mustang was making its way up so quickly as as, as quickly as as what it was. Um, fantastic race from the from this pairing, um, and to come through with the win is, is just what they deserve from the performance that they gave this weekend. 
it started eighth in class and uh, Jordan Albert was flying through. I think it made up like five positions before the pit stop. Then straight after the um, safety car uh, safety car went in, uh, Matt Cowley just dived down inside of um, the lead in Aston and just went from there and kept his lead and finally got the race win they needed. Um, Fantastic on overtake. The g- it was it was it gave him the dummy, didn't he? Coming down into um, yeah. it was like one way and then went the other, and it was just like I'm coming fast. Beep beep. The um, the Aston and um, the not the Aston, the Mustang, um, showed his sort of performance we saw from multi massing running last year. I think it's been a little bit of a a dark horse uh, this race because obviously in uh, on Saturday they were having problems and. Um, it's reported that they were having a, an engine sensor issue in qualifying, uh, which is what dropped them so far down. So I think it would have been very interesting to see, had that not been there, where they would have been at the end of qualifying. Uh, see, um, that's the problem. That's the problem with running a Ford. Anyone in those muscle cars know you can't go wrong with a Mopar. But it, you know, definitely worked its way up the ranks and can't say anything other than they absolutely deserved the win. Overdue and welcome, I think, is is what we say here. And the thirty-seven and a half points that comes from winning an endurance race is is putting them up there. They're now in a position to fight for third in the championship. That third position currently held by Century Motorsport, who in one race equaled their points tally for the rest of the season combined. Uh, they took forty-two points from Brands Hatch, putting them on a total of eighty-four. And the reason that they scored so highly in Kent was it the first round that they had two cars. The number 42 of Andrew Gordon Colebrook and Ben Green, and the number 43 of Ben Hurst and Adam Hatfield, the second second car fielded, of course, both BMW M4 GT4s. The 42 finished in 14th place, or second overall. The 43 car finished a little bit further down in 17th place, which is fifth in class. It's difficult to to say lots here because so much of the action, um, certainly watching the race through uh, the footage that was provided, um, thanks to British GT, because the action was so focused elsewhere. So you didn't get as much um of everybody as you'd like you know it'd be fantastic if we'd got the option to to kind of have different views of and and watch the different kind of battles as they're going on uh we are unfortunately subjected to what the cameras capture so i can't say masses because i it didn't make the massive impression for me but that's because there's just so much else going on and i know we've mentioned this before with previous races that we've looked and watched and it's not that there was anything necessarily bad at all um it's just that there were so many other things to grab attention that it wasn't 12 out of 10 (laughs) yeah it wasn't until after the pit stop that century really came into my focus either um and then they were bothering um the 42 car was bothering the tf the ts4 guys uh so much so that you know, there was a little bit of side-to-side contact underneath the post that I was on on the end of pit lane. Um, I'm going to say bothering. They were battering, weren't they? <laughs> that, that's the point where it was kind of like, okay, now it's our turn. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see how that one developed, but I certainly I certainly saw it um, as it went on, if you will. Yeah, I think the contact started by you, then it continued up 
up down paddock and up to Drury's as well. They were still oh yeah, I mean, uh, banging wheels all together. Yeah, I think what, actually, I think the BMW ended up with um, like tie marks both sides of the car from. Uh, I oh, think it, it was did, the '95 yeah. Aston. It was just like oh dear. Yeah, what was that? What was this? What was this? It was that looked like blatant revenge by Kibble. That did going up towards Druids. Yeah, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put it out there. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that that was just like what the hell were you doing here? Have a couple of smacks. Yeah, yeah? And that's and you know the, the 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 comparison to BTCC is is you know was quite was was needed right there. I think. And I'm going to take this opportunity to just point out that all of our opinions are our own and don't necessarily represent the show's Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that, is my, that is my absolute opinion, right? I mean, Kibble, Kibble wasn't impressed by whatever he thought that the 42 had done and, and uh, decided to just, you know, make his frustration known. Yeah, I think it was a definite heart moment over a head moment. Um, and so that was really the point where it kind of all kicked off and I was just desperate for one of you guys to have actually watched it back because you know I was there watching it tweeting it and knowing that you guys were marshalling Nick was working and it's like I need to talk to someone about this because surely surely (laughs) I was I was literally on the post just above where that happened yeah I was on the pit I was on the end of pit lane where that happened so uh, which is a great spot to view yeah, I I generally thought we were going to have I can't remember which Aston what it was on the inside the ninety seven I think. Um, I generally thought we were going to have that end of the pit wall in in into the into the pit wall. It was on the verge of being an airplane crash, wasn't it, between the yeah, three of them? Was, yeah, yeah. We could we could we could have had you could have quite easily had a, had a repeat of last year. I mean, cars spread across the the start finish straight. I mean, we've said it several times, almost jokingly. But that's the sort of driving you'd expect from from uh, Rob Collard. Yeah, uh, that, that 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 section there, and it was. I've I've watched it several times. I've I watched the tweet over and over and over that the British GT put out. Um, how and they put it, it's all gone a bit BTCC in the dying minutes of the race. That's even in the official report as well, um, which I've got up in front of me, saying you know. Mm. Their closest rivals were engaged in BTCC standards of driving. Yeah. I mean, how how you get, I mean, what you're looking at, 1,200, 1,300 horsepower across the three cars? That close together uh, uh, at that point on the track and don't have a massive accident, I, I still haven't managed to figure out. Oh, it, 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 sh- it shows great talent from, from all three drivers. Um, to 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 avoid that accident. Yeah, Ben Green definitely caught that BMW because if he hadn't caught that, yeah. they were going to strain the yeah, on the other side yeah, and strain the barrier. Yeah, I mean, how how the how that how the BMW didn't come away with serious suspension damage or a puncture at least was another was was something else that really got me. Yeah, or even one of the Astons. How how none of them come away with any kind of serious race-ending damage. Well, we probably might not know about the ninety the ninety-five because he got spun off into the gravel layer but it's, it's it's a rarity i think in 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 british gt but it does happen every now and again and you know as as sarah says you know the the, the heart overrules the mind and they go for a gap that isn't there or um the 
the only thing I will say here is if there was any fault to be apportioned, and I don't think there is, it was it was a racing incident and it was thoroughly entertaining. Um, but it was a racing incident. But the only person there that knew everything that was happening was Ben Green in the BMW. So if there was to be any blame apportioned, it had to fall on him because the two Aston Martins couldn't see each other because there was a bloody great BMW between them. Um, and the only way that that incident could have been avoided would be for Ben to lift off at the point where no racing driver wants to lift off on the way onto a straight. Um, but that's, that's, that's the only thing I can say there is the marks on, on, on the 42 are the 42's fault, basically, but no further action. And thank you very much, because it was amazing. I sat down to watch the race, and as Sarah will back up, I was torn between watching this and the Grand Prix, and I chose to clear out the Grand Prix so I could focus on on the decent racing properly. Um, Great stuff in there, though, the bits that I watched anyway. Oh, yeah, it was an amazing Grand Prix. Yeah. But a Grand Prix. You watched, you watched, you watched a different Grand Prix to the one I watched. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, that accident at uh, the exit of Fania on the way down to Stavolo. That's a one in a million thing. Okay, we had Accidents it. Accidents do not make a great Grand Prix. I think We had it at Alton Park, I'll grant you. <laughs> I did say at the time that, you know, the Grand Prix was copying us. So, yeah. with tyres running rampant and taking other cars out. <laughs> it's like, nope, been there, done that. Yeah, everything, but, everything I've heard about that Grand Prix says it was dull. Dull, dull, dull. So. But I, basically what I'm saying is I saved the British GT race for my day off rather than watching it after a day in a lorry. And I sat down to watch the British GT race, and at the same time, I turned on my Xbox to get the car ready for the eSports race at Brands Hatch this weekend. And the Xbox sat there on the home screen for two hours because I could not tear my eyes away from the two hours at Brands Hatch, it was it was absolutely riveting, and this incident with the the BMW and the two the two Aston Martins was the very dented cherry on the top of the cake. Apart from all that, it was much better seeing Century back up there this weekend. They seemed much be much better performance compared to Donington. So, having cleared out the one car teams and the for the first time two car team. We're now left with two teams that are battling at the head of the championship. Second in the championship fight at the moment is HHC Motorsport on 142 and a half points. That puts them 17 points behind their rivals. And neither team had a particularly strong brand's hatch. The HHC guys managed to take a point and a half out of TF Sport's lead. The, the number 58 made it 49 laps into the race uh, before retiring. A substantial tyre failure on the way down Pilgrim's Drop left tyre debris all over the track at uh, Hawthorne's Hill and left the McLaren parked at the side of the road on the grass just before the corner. The other car, the 57, Gus Bowers and Chris Vesemel, they managed to finish third in the in the class 15th place overall so what's our opinion of the hhc motorsport performance at brands hatch uh 
um, we got we got. I think we got to say that the the third place was only attributed to them after the the ninety seven was given the forty second penalty, um, for knocking the ninety five off the track, um, on the final lap. But, um, you know, other than that, I've got I've got to say they 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 kind of got to be got to be honest. They they kind of passed me by. You know, it's just one of those. It was just one of those races where you're trying to keep up with everything else and you know HHC come come along and get a third place or fourth place on track you're like oh, okay okay I, mean, I, just, I just I just missed that so yeah <laughs> it was just yeah. one of those things I think it's difficult because they um you know the the tire denomination aside which is obviously really disappointing and you know just glad that it ended as well as it can do with nobody hurt and everything um it's it's another case of it was a consistent effort and because of everything else going on, that meant it wasn't picked up as much through the footage from watching Long at home because they were kind of plodding on doing their thing and, you know, HHC have been consistent through the season so far. Yeah. Um, And that is ultimately what's going to land them towards the top of the table if they can keep that up. Yeah, I quite, I quite, I quite possibly think the fact that the reason why I didn't take so much notice was you say, going, oh, all right, okay, HHC's towards." <laughs> just like, so, you know, um, it's 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 it is unfortunate they don't they don't kind of stand out on track compared to the Astons and the the, the TS4 Astons. So, um, I mean, it's, it's certainly not a case of slow and steady rings wins the race because they're anything but slow. Yeah, exactly. Um, but steady, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. See, that's slightly ironic because what I'm looking at here is the average speeds over the race. Uh, and when you look at average speed over distance, the HHC Motorsport 57, the one that finished the race, was joint slowest in terms of average speed, 93.1 miles an hour, along with the 43 Century Motorsport and the 21 Balf Motorsport car. He was, he was making that car nice and wide then throughout most of the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is only by 0.6 of a mile an hour. Uh, we're, 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 we're not talking. <laughs> but slow and steady didn't win the race, but it got him on the podium. <laughs> yeah. um, also got him, it also got him the Drivers' Championship lead as well. Indeed. Um, the other thing I, I, I will say here, I'm going to go back to what Sarah said, and she said the, the tyre delamination. That's tame i think tire detonation possibly closer tire nuclear fission because that tire went off with the force of god and how the heck he managed to control the car uh, a very very fast part of the circuit when the tire just it appeared to let go without warning and it it did detonate it was i've got lots of air and i'm in tatters in the space of about half a second yeah, you, you think I might? I think I might contradict you now, Kian, Nick, because mm-hmm. I think it went flat earlier in around the lap, then finally fell apart going down the hill. If I remember, if I remember correctly, on my radio calls, I was hearing. Mm, I was <laughs> going to say that's not what showed on on the footage. Um, it certainly looked like. I mean, because we saw a bit of the uh, the Balf car as well, and if mm. you put those two together, it's chalk and cheese. Um, there was a very definite kind of, and I, again, I noticed and tweeted and said, you know, oh, it looks like the tyre possibly is coming off here um, as a result of obviously the debris from from the 57 mm. on there. But it was just, 
explosive isn't the right word either so i thought i'll go with yeah. the official terminology <laughs> <laughs> yeah i I, th- I think i think it's more of a case that they've got a flat tire the driver tries to get to the pit a bit too quick and you know just let just just you didn't mm-hmm. didn't take the bow shortcut. Yeah, it didn't well, take the bow that, shortcut, and that and is the other. Sorry, and 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 drove too fast, and therefore you know just stripped the tire, and eventually those tires do just give way. Yeah, and they and they and they and, they, and they, as Sarah said, they do delaminate quite quite explosively, so they could be mistaken for the air coming out. So, and you know, I think we've all seen it on various race series. As soon as those tires come apart, the bodywork's coming with it. Uh, the other thing that I will say here, almost in defence of Jordan, is that Balfe's puncture was after HHC's puncture. If they're all running off data provided by McLaren, they'd be running very similar settings, which means that Balfe would have been watching the telemetry like a hawk for the first sign of tyre troubles, and they'll have warned you and in advance, you've got tyre problems, which meant that he wouldn't have been pushing as hard when the tyre started failing, and he knew not to try and do the lap. Because if you tried to do the lap, there's a good chance the tyre was going to fail spectacularly. Wasn't that the car's second puncher of the race as well? Because I believe it had a left front puncher and he actually missed the pit and did a whole lap if I before the first safety car. Who was this? The 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 Palf? Same. So no, the um, the HAC, HAC the same one. Um, I think it had a I think it had a puncher earlier in the race. So I think it's exactly your better place car. to be able to say yeah. that then. You're, you, <laughs> might, you might. If be I right. vaguely remember, it had a left front puncher. It was going to go in the pits, but missed. It could it couldn't turn, and did a whole lap on yes. the on the left. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, because yeah, yeah, because again, that was another thing. That was another one we thought coming in pit wall. So yeah, yeah, there was there was there was quite a um, there was there was there was a car trying to get into the pit lane mm-hmm. early in the race. Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, I think it was exactly the same car. So I think which is a very unlucky weekend with punches for them. There you go. It's the British GT fan show bringing you information no one else can. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I, I, I didn't realise this, but but Brands Hatch doesn't have an automated pit warning buzzer. It's done by the marshal in the tower. Yeah, so as soon as you spot a car coming into pit lane, you have to hit the hit, hit the pit warning buzzer. Ah, I did. Main jobs all weekend. That was my <laughs> that was one of my main jobs yeah. all weekend. That was. Oh, there's a car coming in. Oh, right, hit the buzzer again. Flag. <laughs> hit the buzzer. Flag. I mean, forget to turn off the light board. Yeah, yeah. Take the broom like out. It when we learn things. Teams championship leaders, but um, possibly the less success, the least successful team at Brands Hatch is TF Sport. Number ninety-five of Connor O'Brien and Patrick Kibble. Number ninety-seven of Daniel Vaughan and Jamie Caroline. Uh, both, of course, driving Aston Martin V8 Vantage AMR GT4s. 18th and 19th on the final classification, as we've said, the 97 took a penalty as a result of um, possibly the second most um, interesting part of the race um, on on the final lap, uh, where um, obviously first rule of motorsport, don't hit your teammate. Second rule, don't hit your teammate. Third rule, definitely don't hit your teammate on the final lap. Right, guys, do you want to analyse this one? I'm, I'm going to get the popcorn out. Other than Connor spinning, I think the first in for both cars was brilliant. Yeah. Um, they, had a, they had a slight bit of contact with uh, a couple of GT3 cars going around Druids. But other than that, they, they, had, they held a solid race for the first stint. And then 
as soon as the pit window was over and done with, that's when the that's when you know all hell started to break loose. And as we've already mentioned, the the incident with the forty two on the pit straight, and then you know the 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 BTCC style, you know, what did you just try and do to me? Clapping them on the side, and then punting your your teammate off into the into the gravel at, at Paddock Hill. Uh, yeah, I mean. It, it kind of undoes what what the the good you've made up in the in the in the earlier part of the race. Yeah, so we we'll go with the positives first. It's um, Conor O'Brien, who was his birthday that day as well. His first his first thing until um, he had a little contact with the Sam, um, the Abba Mercedes GT3 um, was going really good. And he was had a decent lead. Ninety seven was fine with the um, Toyota. Then all of a sudden, it's just then the whole race imploded for them. Even after doing a, which we did see them practicing on the Saturday evening, was um, them doing a double pit stop when the safety car came out. Um, and after that, it just all went wrong. And I wouldn't want to have been the fly on the wall in that team um, lorry when Tom Ferrier mm. was reading them the right act. I suppose that there was word. I I heard that there was words said between. Um, some people in part ferme and around the podium ceremony. I found that there was a £500 fine handed out to Jamie Caroline for using abusive or something something language yep. uh, reported by Ben Green. And there was a lot of credibility lost by Jamie Caroline for being the most unrepentant person I've seen after nerfing your teammate off. Because when he was interviewed in the end, it was always... Yeah, Robin is racing. It's all good. No, you've just put your teammate off on the final lap of the race. That's not, that's no Breno, that is. <laughs> Did look a little bit like there was not a lot of remorse there. And I know this has kind of blown Twitter up a bit, respectively, as well. There's been all sorts of of comments made by everyone from team owners through to kind of other drivers and I've kind of followed a few through and everyone's got an opinion on this. I mean, I was just absolutely flabbergasted when I was kind of watching them. It's like, wait, what? 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 No, what? But team? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> was pretty much what I was yelling at the TV. And I don't get that animated at the TV that often. <laughs> but I'd stuck it on the TV with, you know, streaming and everything. And it was like, but, but, but. And say it made for you know amazing watching, but what the heck? When I heard the call over the radio saying the 95 97 made contact, I can't repeat what I said because obviously knowing, obviously knowing the numbers and bits and bobs, um, family show and all that. Um, I can imagine my I think my response was probably slightly similar to Tom Ferry's when I actually heard what happened. I was like, oh my god, talking of unrepeatable as well. Um, I'm guessing. Uh, the air was turning rather blue inside the 97 uh, just after the contact with the GT3 car for the 95 because one of the high points of the race for the 97 car for me was how he managed to avoid his spinning teammate as he came around Druids. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm guessing that <laughs> if, if we had live radio, it would be like Morse code with the bleeps going off <laughs> because he came around and his teammate was broadside across the racing line. So another one of the, one of the Astons also had contact with um, Michael Igo and his WPI Lamborghini. 
at one point. I can't remember which one it was, but Michael Igo suddenly going sideways, coming out of Druids, going down to Graham Hill. Now, that was after contact with one of the Astons. I think it was just yeah. a attack an Aston day. It must be bright yellow colour. Let's go attack it. <laughs> it's a narrow circuit with a lot of speed up, slow down. Um, the Paddock Hill Druid section is is where overtakes. A GT3 car can put an overtake on through there, but really cooler heads would hold off uh, <coughs> for once you get out of Graham Hill and when you're going down, um, obviously down the Pilgrim's Drop and that, that sort of area where you've got a bit more space to get the job done. But as we'll get onto in the GT3 section, nobody had time to spare in GT3, so to, to keep their position in their class, they had to dive bomb the, the lower class. Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen at, at, at Druids as well, it's normally the kind of place where if a GT4 driver knows there's a GT3 coming behind, coming behind it, they will take a wider line. So we're not the GT3 drivers. We're, we're expecting them to take a wider line, and they just didn't. Because if, as everyone's got to remember, I think, GT4s don't have to give way, yeah? They, they might choose to, but they don't have to, and it's up to the GT3 drivers to find a way around. And there was close battling all up and down the field as well. So yeah. if if the number 97 had given a wider line into Druids, there was no guarantee the number 95 weren't coming up as inside where the GT3 was. Oh, no, no, of course it wasn't. No, no, because they've all, they've, all got, they've all got their own race. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a lot of close racing up and down the field, which led to a lot of close contact. Yeah. Imagine if we still had 35 cars. <laughs> oh, it'd be carnage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I think I've, Demolition I've... Derby would have been more like it than uh, yeah. PTC. Hi, I'm Michael O'Brien, professional racing driver for McLaren, and I'm delighted to be joining the guys on the British GT Fan Show. Go and check them out, and uh, yeah, you won't be disappointed. And be sure to check out British GT Fans on Facebook and Fans of British GT on Instagram and Twitter. So in GT3, we actually have new teams to talk about. 13th in the championship resides Beach Dean AMR, the V8 Vantage AMR GT3, driven by Andrew Howard and Johnny Adam, the, the pairing reunited for the first time since their championship win. Only three points from the, the, the race at Brands Hatch. It didn't go entirely according to plan, but it was nice to see the car back and obviously our first sighting of a GT3 Aston Martin so far this year. Qualified nicely, but uh, as far as I saw, Andrew Howard just kind of fell away and started giving away places um, throughout his stint. Johnny Adam took the car on at the pit uh, at the pit interval and made a, made up a few places, but not enough to rescue their race. I think uh, that's I think that's the story of Beach Dean's. I believe he actually made it back onto um, the same lap by the end of it which yes, yeah. considering there were several laps yeah back is a massive achievement um to have done that given you know the safety cars and and everything um i know that on twitter um andrew howard had kind of basically said yeah we need i need to just be out there more um <laughs> and you know it's, it's got to be difficult coming in when all the other drivers have have had th a couple of races to get into get back into the swing of it after so long out um so 
I think in spite of everything for my money, it was not a bad effort at all. Um, and again, it's, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot more practiced drivers um, out there at the moment. And I think it's just a case of, you know, getting into the groove, but I believe we're scheduled to see more from them through the season. So I'm not one to write home about results wise, but it's nice to see the car, which looks amazing. Oh yeah. You know, on the track and it is nice to have an Aston Martin in, in the GT3 class. As, as I said to Sarah, um, when I was watching the, the race back, I've, I've said some things about Andrew Howard and his grasp of, of the new Aston Martin last year. Um, but I don't, I don't think that Andrew did anything. I, I, I don't think Andrew performed less than he could have at Brands Hatch. And that's not because he's not a quick driver, but that's because whereas a lot of the other drivers have had concerns over the five, six months of lockdown, and a lot of the other drivers have not had all the time to practice. Andrew Howard runs an ice cream business which thrives mainly on events, theatres, cinemas, and restaurants. So his ice cream business has had a very tough time. And he runs a football team that hasn't been out of play. So he's he's quite rightly focused his time on the people that are relying on him and his staff. And his racing, which is, at the end of the day, his, his hobby, his fun, has had to take a back seat. He's done some simulator work, no no real testing. He just needs time to get back get, get get his feet back under the table. And the four races he's got this year will get him ready for a for a title attack next year. When he got overtaken by I think that three or four cars all in like one straight, mm. I think he just thought, go ahead, let me get my pace back. I'm not gonna fight with you. And just let me get my let me get my bearings and what's going on with the car. Because obviously he's, he hasn't really tested it since media day, probably. Um, so I think it was a case of like obviously seeing where he is, getting racing again, and let Johnny Adam have a good old go when he got in the car later on. Was he been a lap down? Was he sort of kiboshed Johnny Adam a bit? But is mm. what happens. But he did gain a lap, gain a lap back as Sarah said through the safety cars and Johnny Adam driving quickly. So for a first round back, you couldn't miss the car. And hopefully they'll be better at Snetterton when they're next back. Let me just clarify what what I meant by Andrew giving away plays. As I say, he went down, going down that straight where he got overtaken, as, as Andrew said, by the three or four cars. He did move over and he did. He was noticeably slower. But I, I mean, he was no, there's no slight against Andrew Howard's driving ability or anything like that. I understand it. Why you might have being out of practice and stuff like that. I say, I, I wasn't interpreting that from what you're saying, and you're right, right, it was the right thing to do. If he'd have fought it, it'd have ended up in a gravel trap with expensive Aston Martin parts for you guys to pick up. Yeah. Because all he would have done is frustrate the faster faster guys behind to the point where someone does a do-or-die move. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, when you when you, when you got when you got a limited budget maybe this year or maybe not a limited budget what am i trying to say when you when you when you just when you're just making your way back into the series like a, a you know expensive car repair isn't what you want yeah so and when you're getting your feet back under the table losing the track yeah. time as well yeah 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 exactly i think as well um 
he doesn't have the pressure to finish at the top because he's not in every race. So I think that may possibly have played a part as well. And it's a case of, well, you know, I'm not going to be top of the table because I'm not in all the races. So why why would I take unnecessary risk? Yeah, it was yeah. his aims were different at that race than, than the rest of the people in his class. Perhaps with the exception of Stella, I would say. Indeed. During free practice one and two, Johnny Adam did show that the Aston still has underlying pace. He was fastest by about seven tenths in both sessions. So, yeah, if, if TF Sport had been around this year with both their cars and perhaps Beastin had been around with their cars, this championship could have been very, very different this year. So, 12th to 10th in the championship didn't actually attend Brands Hatch. Uh, 12th AF Corsa UK uh, were racing under the spirit of race banner at Paul Ricard in the European Le Mans series. Spoiler alert, they won their class. JMH Auto and Balfe Motorsport, 11th and 10th respectively, weren't weren't planned to, to attend Brands Hatch, so nothing wrong with them not being there. Uh, the car in ninth place, a uh, single car entry, and the debut of the Audi R8 LMS Evo in the British GT3 Championship. Stella Motorsport have arrived. Uh, it's Richard Williams and Senham Fielding driving the car, which looked pretty good and showed some pretty strong pace in what I saw of the race. They took 12 points from the race. Finished sixth overall. So, a to me, that's a reasonable first effort. What do you guys think? To me, it's a, to me, it's a, yeah. As I say, it's, as you say, it's a reasonable first effort. I don't think that's where the team really wanted to be, though. From what they were saying to us, yeah, car looks car looked great, and it was it was decently pedalled. So, good first outing. Yeah, um, I think uh, we. We might see this bother bothering the, at least the bottom step of the podium at some point this year. After qualifying, um, they worked with Audi because uh, with having a GT3 car, you also get an Audi engineer and a nice big lorry, it turns out. Um, and they did some setup changes, which obviously worked because in, in morning warm-up, um, Senna fielding went fastest. So if they started higher, chances are they could have been perhaps challenging the podium position. And I don't think Richard Williams has driven the car that much. Senon's been doing most of the um, testing with the car. So for a first weekend, they were hoping for a reasonable result, and I think they got a reasonable result. Obviously, they wouldn't like to finish higher, but first weekend back, I think they can. I think it was a good weekend all round for them. Yeah, I think they will have learned a lot from kind of actually being out in the field, and they can only take that forwards. And as as we've already said, you know, I think they will probably will be looking. Uh, certainly to finish higher in future races, but it's nice that they are um, there and adding a bit of variety into the mix. And it's another kind of unknown quantity at the moment, but uh, definitely not one to be discounted, I think, for future races. The thing with the Stella Audi is I think expectations may have been raised for their debut in the GT3 class by the Stella Motorsport Audi's debut in the GT4 class, where they rocked up at Snetterton last year and won their first race. Now, the thing to consider here is the fact that 
Richard and Senan are stepping up to the GT3 class for the first time. Last year, they were two-year veterans of the class in a Toyota. So all they had to adapt to was a new car. This year, they've got to adapt to a new car, a whole new class. It's faster. There's going to be a learning curve. Eighth in the class, um, in, the, in the class standings for the team's championship, is Team ABBA Racing, the Mercedes AMG GT3, the non-Evo car, so the older version. Richard Neary and Sam Neary sharing the driving. Um, came to notice in Richard's stint for a bit of a bit of a communication error, I think. Uh, t- two cars in different classes, not quite knowing what each other was doing. Um, and then went on to have a reasonable race. Took nine points out of the event for a seventh place finish. It wasn't the cleanest of stints for Richard. Um, it's got to be said, I think. Um, but, you know, he managed to hold the pace um, along uh, towards... He was trailing uh, Lewis proctor was it lewis proctor or um yeah lewis proctor in in, in the Oxford, um mclaren um for for the mo- for the majority of his stint um you know so he was able to he was you know he, he was able, he was able to keep up with the the, the young guns but, um you know the odd, the odd mistake um um showed if you know what i mean um and then a, a, a fairly decent stint from sam um, which you know, which got them, which made sure they uh, got the points that they uh, already deserved on the day. I think for me, this one suffered a little bit from the spotlight being elsewhere through a lot of the race because obviously not being at the track, and it's, it's again watching where I'm directed to, and other than when it was in the spotlight, um, for possibly less than shining reasons, um. Again, it it was kind of plodding on and and doing what it what it's doing. Seventh place in the championship, Team Parker Racing, who are showing possibly the wrong way to go about a British GT championship here. Five rounds in, they've scored at two of them. Uh, took a win last time out and sit on twenty six points. The number sixty six. Uh, Team Parker Racing, Bentley Continental GT3. Uh, Nick Jones got a pretty much full stint in. Scott Malvin got a very much reduced stint in as a result of uh, the ignoble end to to Nick Jones's efforts. Do you guys want to talk us through this one? Compared to the highs of Donington, this, this weekend just went very badly wrong for them. They weren't really anywhere in qualifying and obviously starting from the back and no offence to Nick, um, being obviously the AM driver against all the Silvers and some of the other AMs, it just didn't really go. And normally the Bentley seems to does sort of half suit um, um, brands actually in the dry. And obviously come a cropper when um, the number 10 two-season McLaren 720S GT3 decided to overtake it and there's a bit of contact with sent it in the gravel which then forced it into the pits for some repairs but obviously Scott did come back out uh well I think it was just basically just make sure the car was okay and just give him some track time and fingers crossed when I get back to Donington the scene of their win they'll have a much better round again 
yeah, it it wasn't the it wasn't the it wasn't the best race for him, was it? Um, as I say, I've got nothing against Nick's driving ability as he as he proved at Donington last last time out. Um, he can he can pedal a car nice and quickly. Um, but that first stint just looked like he was very unsure. From where, from what I could see, he was very unsure about coming through clearways and not bit straight. Um, that's as I say, that's what it looked like to me. Um, you know, and then to be knocked off the knocked off the track on what was classed as a racing incident. You know what I mean, it was just miscommunication between the drivers and um you know and then it just became a like a bit of a uh, test session uh, later on in the race unfortunate way to to you know carry on your championship after a win at donny but you know the better look next time i think guys again it, it this one didn't really kind of trouble anyone and the timing of of it going off was very unfortunate and I'm sure we'll get around to that in a bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult because it's, it's had some very high highs and some very low lows. So it's kind of, where's it going to end up in? Um, but hopefully they can get it together for the remainder of the season. What I'm going to say here in defense of the team Parker guys, they took, a single point at the first round, which was Nick Jones' first time racing a GT3. Uh, obviously, the grid was set on his qualifying times, and he is one of the very few AMs in the class. So he was going to start down the order. Race two, it was, again, it was communication error. Uh, which which caused the issue there, which took them out of the race. Race three was wet. The Bentley hates the wet. Race four, bingo. Famine to feast. To, uh, top points. Brands Hatch, I'd have thought the car would have gone better there as well, but Brands Hatch is a very intimidating circuit. And having had three rounds of of bad luck I'd probably go in there being a little bit cautious after taking my first win of the championship probably overly cautious trying to save what I've got rather than push for more and that could have been what did for him Hi I'm Mia Fluitt I'm a GT4 driver with Balf Motorsport and I'm happy to be joining the guys from British GT Fan Show Please follow them on social media at BGTF Show. Sixth in the GT3 teams table is Optimum Motorsport, the McLaren 720S GT3 of Lewis Proctor and Ollie Wilkinson. Took 1.5 points out of Brands Hatch. So that's points for last, sorry, for 10th place in class. Um, mainly as a result of a, of a bit of a safety car restart snafu uh which landed them a trip down an extra trip down pit lane tell me about this effort then guys so the 96 car had a less than optimum race really oh. <laughs> it was nothing really special for them this weekend um 
car, in the other hand, seems to be much faster with um, other teams. It's um, very disappointing for them. The penalty obviously dropped them back a bit, but it was, apart from the little incident with the WPI Lamborghini, I can't really remember much of their race. Yeah, my notes are pretty much nothing to write home about, and the only thing that kind of did stand out was the the kind of the penalty side of it. And even then, it's a, oh, well, okay. Yeah, I think the only thing I remember was a bit of rubbing between him, um, Lewis, and uh, Michael Igo. Um, other than that, I really can't remember much from this one, from this car's race. It's... Uh, as Andrew says, it was it wasn't it isn't what you expect from the team and the drivers. In fact, the penalty was due to overlapping at the restart with the GT4 car, wasn't it? And that's we it's believe a so. We don't actually think it was actually said why. I believe it was that TV commentary mentioned a GT3 car overlapping with the GT4 car. Um, and if this was the case. It's a very, very hard thing to judge a safety car restart when you're behind a car in a lower class. Because, of course, you want to be on the gas as soon as possible so you don't lose time to people that you're fighting with ahead of you. But, but you can't overtake that GT4 car until you get to the line or the flag. Um, and with the the difference in acceleration there, it it could have been a quarter of a second too early on the throttle and the overtake was done before the line. It's, it's a very, very hard thing to judge. Fifth in the championship table is two C's motorsport. So we're now up into the two car teams. The number nine of Angus Fender and Dean McDonald. The number 10 of Jordan Witt and Jack Mitchell. Hunting as a pack for, for most of the early part of the race. Um, had decent pace, uh, just eighth place for the number 10 car and a disappointing 11th place for the number nine. I'm going to jump in here because I think um, it was it was disappointing for the number nine um, because they were demoted after a really good race due to a penalty. So yeah, it was it was really unfortunate that the number nine was given um quite a significant penalty for an unsafe pit stop release. Um I mean the the pit window itself I'm sure we are about to talk about <laughs> in the not too distant I, I, future. I was going to say, did the recovery operator get a significant time penalty for an unsafe pit stop maneuver as well? <laughs> um, so it was it. I was quite good um, mm. to to kind of see that because it was a really good start from these guys. They they moved up the field, and it was only kind of the number six was holding them off um, on there. But they both had a good a good go. Yeah, both the nine and ten were both having taken turns and we go to number six, especially coming past me, and I was on the entry to the clearways, and it was it, it was getting points where all three cars nearly were crashing into each other. Um it was just all over the place. And when they finally got, obviously number ten got through with a 
questionable overtaking maneuver on the number six eventually. Um, it, it wasn't questionable, it was robust. So he obviously the six run wide slightly, 10 went for the gap and then pushed him out onto the grass, which let the nine get past as well. Yeah, the, the unsafe pit release is I'm trying to think nice words of putting it. I think the penalty they got for that is harsh is an understatement. Having a Land Rover in the way of the pits, well, basically the, they had nowhere to go apart from pulling in front of the yeah. um, Lamb, Barwell Lamborghini. It was just, it was a harsh decision. And um, on their social media, they're saying they did finish on the podium and they're ignoring what has been made. Yeah. And I mean, personally, I'm in agreement with that. I could not believe what I was seeing through that window, <laughs> um, you know, and the carnage it caused. And I was truly, there were, there were two things that really gutted me through this race. And this was one of them. Gaz, you were on the end of the pit wall. You will have seen it. Uh, my memory serves, and it's been a couple of years since I've been to British GT at Brands Hatch, but if my memory serves, the first pit garage is always left empty. Could that Land Rover not have pulled into that first pit garage and then gone through the paddock to get back to its post? The first garage is actually scrutineering. So you couldn't be with white bridges and everything in the way. Sorry, guys, if you're going to say that, but um, yeah. So technically, the first garage was RJN. Right, and could they not have pulled off into the assembly area? The Land Rover could could have pulled into part of Fermi. Um, Scrutineering didn't have anything like a weigh bridge outside or anything. Like that. He could have quite easily pulled into the um, um, the the bay even just by the chain link fence. I don't know. I, it, but I watched the the Land Rover come into pit lane, thinking, "Oh, this is a bit close." Yeah, um, and then proceeded to carry on down it. And I feel sure we'll come to it. But the RJN car actually had to overtake in pit lane, mm -hmm. for which I thought that would get a penalty. Yeah, for essentially pulling into the slow lane of um, to overtake the Land Rover. And then everything else piled up behind it. I I, I don't know what the decision was behind it. I mean, it they were, I'm sure the I feel sure the recovery guys in the Land Rover were only following the instructions given to them by race control. Yeah, I will say nothing against um, the guys that you know go out there and, and do that job, paid or not, um, to go and recover cars out of the gravel um, from various points around the track, but. There was the wrong decision made on that on that on that point, and and any penalty given for 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 in what is in my what is in my opinion a, a, a mistake made by race control is is not just harsh; it's extremely harsh and 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 almost wrong in my opinion. Would it have been almost safer to send? the Land Rover round the Indy circuit to come in the bottom end of the pits. No, because then you no, because then you 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 you're sending it against the flow of traffic. No, 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 no. To send it down Paddock Hill, round Druids, through Graham Hill, and then turn right. I don't know. I I can't. I I honestly, I I can't remember where that where that Land Rover was. That was that coming from? Land Rover was pulling out the number sixty six Bentley. 
So he so drove that, away so from all the way around over there. That was round at post 14. That was on the GP loop. So they were quick. And um, you, there's no there's no way of getting it back up the back of um, the, the back end of Druids without probably getting a marshal to run halfway up the halfway up the hill or across the track to open up a gate maybe that might exist. Um, but as I say, in yeah, I, this 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 pit lane penalty. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it firsthand, and I didn't see it on the TV. I must admit, and you know, it had only been reported by another pit lane marshal. Um, you know, as oh, you know, someone else just almost hit another car. You know, but if, but maybe the team may not have made that decision if someone wasn't making the decision of sending a Land Rover down the pit lane slower than <coughs> the pit limiter. The pit lane speed limit. So, yeah, it's it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? You know what I mean? Either you 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 you, you speed through pit lane, which you're going to get pinged for anyway. Yeah, you overtake in pit lane, which what what are they going to do? Is, what are they going to do? Give the Land Rover a drive through penalty? Well, no, no. We, 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 <laughs> what, what, what I'm saying anyway is, 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 is so you can make the decision that Mikey O'Brien. Mm. Um, Made and overtook in pit lane. Now I and I and I saw that and I went, oh, he's going to get pinged for that, and he didn't. But then surely there should be a consistency thing because how is it fair for one car to get penalised for doing something exactly in that situation and and another car to not be penalised? The, the, the RJN, you watch you watch the footage back. The RJN like car pulls out behind the Land Rover, it then crosses the hash lines and pulls in. Pulls halfway into the slow lane. Yeah, I think he pulled out about the same time. I don't think he actually pulled out behind it. I think he, as he pulled out, the Land Rover was, was pretty much very yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much level with him. But he did get behind it. Is there a regulation against overtaking in pit lane? For sure, there is. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because it's one. It's one of the things you do not do. <laughs> yeah. You know. You know that's the reason. That's the reason why you have that separation. You, you shouldn't be crossing those hash markings unless you're coming in or out of your box. And hence the speed limit as well. And the speed limit, yeah. So, so Mike, Michael O'Brien might not have sped in the pit lane. Yeah, he might just have been on the pit lane, pit lane speed limit, but he still overtook in pit lane. Whether not it's another competitor's car or not. Yeah. See, this but, is this is all a very very grey area, isn't it? I don't think I don't, I don't think it's a grey area. Either you've broken the laws of the pit lane, or you haven't. Yeah. So if so, if you've done an unsafe release, and you've done an unsafe release, but if that's whether or not it's because of extraordinary circumstances or not, yeah, you know, you've still done an unsafe pit release, but that Land Rover probably should never have been coming down that pit lane at that time, or should have pulled in. Mm. And waited for a clear for because you know mm. they've only got to get on the other end of pit lane to where they're normally held. But as I say, I'm not I'm not going to say anything against the driver of the of the Land Rover. I'm not going to say anything about the guy the guy in the passenger seat with the radio. Yeah, in my mm. opinion, this is a this is a this is this is something that was they, someone in race control said, make your way down pit lane, don't stop. Yeah, carry on. 
I mean, we've we've talked previously about how these decisions, you know, they are split second decisions, and there's always going to be a time where that decision isn't the right decision. There's too many decisions there, but tough. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, that was that was a problem that Peter Daly and the crew of race control had. Too many decisions to make at the same time. Yeah. Um. So it's it's kind of like I don't think it's even necessarily anyone's fault, but the inconsistencies is what bugs me. And I mean, when I was watching that, it was like, what? How? There, you know, I I don't think there's even you know any. I think race control were probably about as prepared for what happened as Britain were for coronavirus, you know, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, that just turned everything absolutely upside down because it affected everything that followed. And yes, we can sit and play what if until the cows come home, go to bed and get up the next morning. Um, but quite honestly, if it had not been there, I think it might have been a different outcome. I now I now have a wonderful I now have a wonderful mental image of a cow tucked up in bed with its teddy bear. <laughs> Your mind works in strange ways. <laughs> it's hanging around with you guys. Highland cow. A Highland coo. <laughs> yep, a Highland coo with a nice fluffy blanket. Yep. Hot water bottle and a little baby Highland coo teddy bear. Yep. And and it's now rubbing off on Sarah. No, that would have been my head <laughs> many years ago. Okay, the final question that I have on this one, the number nine, unsafe release. The path of which vehicle was this car released into? Car six. Right. So the number two performed a illegal fingers waggling move on a non-racing vehicle. In my opinion, yeah. The number nine performed an illegal move on a fellow competitor. That's why there's a difference in penalty. Again, I don't think it makes a difference in pit lane. He shouldn't be overtaken in pit lane. I might, I might, I might be misinterpreting the rules. I might be misinterpreting the rules. Yeah, but I think, I think, I think that's, I think that's an absolutely flat rule throughout pit lane. Okay, you do not pit, you don't overtake in pit lane. Maybe, maybe. Um, Michael knows them better than I do. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a pit lane mark. I was, I was. The reason that I was so good for this is that it showed what two Cs are capable of, and in comparison with with the previous rounds where they didn't have the best of times, um, and you know the comments that had been made did cast a little bit of doubt, and for me, they kind of smashed through those doubts this time and it is just really unfortunate that it ended the way it did so fourth in the championship it's uh one of the single car efforts the wpi motorsport team lamborghini Huracan gt3 evo michael igo today well, this time joined by frank pereira who was the co-driver that was originally pending for the full season but of course covid has change things all around the number 18 car has 60.5 points on the board seven and a half short of its next nearest rival um took 15 points out of brands hatch um from a from a strong run uh which saw them in fifth place at the end of the race 
I think these guys, you know, had had a fair decent race. Um, I, I think I think this weekend has made, has made me realise that I think we've got a future champion in Michael Igo. Um, as long as he, as as long as he gets a decent um, full time partner um, in that Lamborghini of his. Um, you know, we we know that we know the team can fare the car. We know we know that Michael Igo can pedal it around the track nice and fast. Um, luck needs to be on their side, and they need to, you know, get the qualification results so they can start high up the grid. Um, you know, decent race for them. Uh, you know, a bit of bit, they had a bit of contact from the rear from the Optimum car, um, but it didn't didn't it didn't seem to affect um, Michael's confidence or speed the car. So, you know, it's um, got. The, I think they got the points um, that they deserved from the from the weekend, and uh, you know, I don't think they really put a foot wrong. They may have finished fifth in the race, but technically, they're actually second in their class of pro am. Uh, Ian Loggy, Yelma Berman, technically won pro am. So, for, in the pro am championship, it was even better for them. And obviously, in the overall championship, a fifth place is a decent result, which will go obviously count towards the end of the season. I don't really have a lot to say on this one because they didn't stand out massively, but that's I think because they were kind of motoring on and being consistent. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it's unfortunate <laughs> that that kind of hasn't had its rewards through kind of the watch back because there's been so much other stuff happening. Um, but. You know, I think in some ways, kind of no news is good news for for them on that front. So seven and a half points ahead of the WPI cars, it's the number two McLaren 720S GT3. This one of world's fastest gamer James Baldwin and Michael O'Brien for Jensen Team Rocket RJN on 68 points, uh, courtesy of a win at the first round and 27 points out of Grand's Hatch for finishing in second place. Uh, we've already discussed that they got lucky uh, during the pit stops, I think is, is the best way to put it. But this car showed some serious pace. Serious pace is an understatement. Well, the fact that it came in before the safety car with a 30-second lead. James Baldwin was on a mission, and I would say possibly this could be the stint of the season. For obviously, he's not very experienced with the car in British ET. He's had a few rounds to be 30 seconds ahead of um, Rob Collard in the Lamborghini Barwell. It was he was just shot off and he was um, and it was often off, off on his own. There is a obviously with the Land Rover being in the pit lane, possibly cost them time against the Barwell Lambo as well, which could have cost him the race win. I'm sure we'll probably discuss that a bit more. Michael O'Brien did his best after the pit stop. Um, I just couldn't find a way past the um, Sandy Mitchell. I said earlier that there were two moments that had me absolutely gutted with this race um, and watching the lead that Baldwin had built up get decimated by the safety car was one of them. Um, and that did turn to frustration, especially over the palaver of the pit window on there because you know this is what I was saying about the what ifs because 
it could have played out very different had they managed to get back out ahead of of the Lamborghini. Um, I think they would have probably won. And it's just absolutely going to see so much of a lead that, you know, he didn't put a foot, a foot wrong in that first stint. Everything went the right way. And I don't know how long it's been since I've seen that kind of lead in anything. Um, but it was just absolutely mesmerizing to watch. So just before the safety car, I was timing the gap between James Baldwin and, and Rob Carlard, and they were up by 26 and a half seconds. Yeah. And they had lapped. They put 90 seconds on Adam Ballon, who they had lapped, who, who James had put 90 seconds on Alan Ballon, who he had lapped. Yeah. You know, this was a f- phenomenal stint. Yeah. From a guy that, you know, was, a couple of years ago was only sat at home on his, on his sim rig, on his quite, quite possibly very expensive sim rig and, 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 and what have you. But, you know, no real world experience or anything like that. And then he goes and puts, you know, half a minute, minute, half on, you know, really experienced racers and people that have been racing for, um, Longer you know, than a, good, a, a, good, a, a good few years. Yeah. And then to, to see it wiped out by, by, by the safety car, you know, I mean, I was just, I think, you, I think you just heard that kind of collective, Oh, kind of all, all around the track when you when when you know when when this when when this just got decimated, um, and then as we've previously discussed the the the, the incident in the pit lane with the with with the Land Rover, the the, the recovery um four by four, you know um I, as I say I um I think it would they were looking not to get pinged for overtaking in pit lane, um there might be rules around as we've discussed there might be rules around um whether or not it's a competitor or another car or another vehicle but michael o'brien comes out and yeah he just he just can't find a way past sandy mitchell and you know that should have been rjn's win this one but you know the look of the look of the draw says they get second place you know it's a it's not what it's not what it's not what they in my opinion they deserved for the for the for the efforts this weekend but you know, second place is is better than no points, and you know, and for us, for us, for a single car team to 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 be up there in third plot, to be up there in third place, you know, you know, all the better for it. So another thing that potentially cost them win was something that I think the team have picked up, and I've seen some comments on social media about it, where. If you watch the 78 Lamborghini come out of his pit, he accelerates, and then all of a sudden it slows back down. And actually, yeah. Yeah. we actually have overtaken in the pit lane where the Beachstein Aston overtook it. Yeah, Because obviously we have the minimum pit stop time. So it looks like Barwell got, developed a habit of sending the cars out slightly early, then the driver slows down towards the end to make sure it gets the minimum pit stop time. If that car was released at normal time, chances are that Michael O'Brien would have been alongside that car when it pulled out the pits. See, I don't think that you can penalise Beach Dean for overtaking that car. I think if yeah. anybody should be penalised, it should be Barwell for releasing early. 
And the reason I say that is it's all about expectation. On the motorway, when you're driving on the motorway, you're ready for someone to slow down, but you don't expect it. And it's the same in pit lane. Everybody's on the speed limit. You don't expect somebody to slow down. And given how rapidly these things decelerate without even touching the brake, I'm guessing it didn't even show any brake lights. Well, from what I saw, um, Rob Collard didn't even pull out, even pull out into the actual flow of traffic. He just kind of cruised down the 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 the, the right hand side of pit lane, under un, under the podium and and, yeah, and out so, where the safety yeah, so, car. So so, so so how how was how was Andrew Howard not to know that you know Rob had just just or Sandy had just uh, stalled, um you know and then that in that case then it's you know. It could have been mechanical failure or anything. You know what I mean, and then you know, you're perfectly free to do what you do what you need to do to get past. You know, as long as you don't speed in the pit in, in the pit line. Um, yeah, I, I I think I think I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, if anything should be getting penalised, it should be Barwell for um, for for releasing early. But you know, we, I don't think there's anything in the rules saying they can't release early. It's just it's just the when you meet the delta in the pit line. Yeah, because you've got to meet that minimum minimum time in the pit lane, and yeah. and I think Barwell did this at Alton Park in race two, where Adam uh, Ballon or Phil Keane made their pit stop, and they did it really quick. So obviously, it was just literally change driver, and the car sat there in the slow lane. They pushed it back out, and he just sat there. Then he drove off. So they have history. So I don't know if there's something perhaps that might need looking into, or they're just playing the rules to how they're read. Yeah. Hmm. It could it could be completely within the rules, and we and we're not we're, we're not that well versed in them, um, you know, and you know, we're not, we're not well that well versed in the pit lane rules. I've Which, I've read the regulations, but not in that much detail. Yeah. So, you know, it's how long how long before everybody else starts doing it? Yeah. But I think we can have this discussion. We've discussed bar one as well, can't we? But. Mm-hmm. So second in the championship table for the teams is Ram Racing. Um, very much ahead of Jensen Team Rocket RJN. Again, by virtue of the fact that they've got two cars that have been scoring fairly consistently. Uh, the number six of Ian Loggy and Yelma Berman. And the number 69 of Sam Dehan and Patrick Kajala. Um, on 131 points between them. The the number six was the better performing of the two cars, took third place, literally just ahead, um, 1.638 seconds to be precise, ahead of the number 69. And not saying these cars are evenly matched, uh, which given that one's Pro-Am and one is Silver Silver is quite impressive, but their average miles per hour over the length of the race is identical at 101.8. Loggy had the probably one of the best races I've seen him have for, for a while now, I think. Um, and then handing the car over to Yelma Berman, you know, Yelma, you know, knows how to pedal a Mercedes round and, uh, and got on the points. Um, Sam, um, probably affected by Bop for the silver silvers and 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 whatever, um, was probably struggling and and well definitely struggling to get past Ian uh, get past Ian Loggy, 
Um, and then, you know, handed over to Patrick and, uh, you know, again, getting stuck behind uh, other cars. <sighs> there was you some know. great defensive driving by Ian Loggett at the start and especially when two Cs were trying to desperately overtake. Um, and I think it's, that is one of the reasons why both um, James Baldwin and Rob Collard managed to pull away with as much a lead as they did. And, you know, we, we've already said that um, James Baldwin had got such a gap, but actually there was quite a large gap between Rob Collard and, and Ian Loggy um, for the majority of the, the first stint until the safety car came out. And that, was only increasing as well and I think that's down to the fact that you know there was a great battle going on I I trotted out one of the American muscle car phrases in GT4 I'm going to trot out another one because the first few laps of the first sort of 10 laps I think of the race just proved the old adage there is no replacement for displacement the Big bang of V8 of the Mercedes. Okay, the, the McLaren is better around the corners and the McLaren can carry better speed. But all Ian Loggy had to do was place his car so that the McLaren couldn't carry all of its speed through the corner. And then as soon as he stomped on the loud pedal when he got it on the straight, the torque picked up and he just pulled away. It was almost like a Ferrari trying to overtake a Williams. They just couldn't do it. Say so the number six was definitely the widest Mercedes I've ever seen in the world for the first twenty minutes, until um, uh, the number ten decided to force its way past. Um, and we've—I know Gaz mentioned about the BOP difference between the silver, silver, and the Pro-Am car. Sam Dehan and Patrick Kajala's car are actually being silver, silver's forty-five kilos heavier than number six. For those who didn't know that information, that I find out <laughs> which does make the 1.638 second gap between the two cars at the end at the end of the race a bit more impressive yeah safety car obviously probably narrowed that down a lot and obviously obviously being younger being a pro driver as well once he got into the car he was hussing that Merc round very fast and so we we now come to the team's championship leaders. Barwell Motorsport, two-car team. The number 72 Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo of Phil Keane and Adam Ballon. And the race-winning first victory for these guys. Number 78 Lamborghini of Rob Collard and Sandy Mitchell. The team only took 37.5 points out of Brands Hatch, which is the points you get for a win in an endurance race. So you could you could probably call it, from a team point of view, a missed opportunity. Taylor, two cars, wasn't it? In this, I mean, you had one out the front and one struggling around the back. Um, yeah, I will point out at this point, the 72, the Bowen and Keane car, was the only GT3 car to complete every lap it could that was off the lead lap. Yeah, uh, I I don't know what 
the uh, there must have been some kind of issue in that in that in that in that car, or Adam Ballon just didn't wasn't getting to grip with the car this weekend. I think um, it, it was awful weekend, wasn't it? Because it it didn't do massively. Yeah. Well, through qualifying or practice. So. You know, um, we had Alan Ballon and Phil Keane. You know, he's always fast in the Lambo, and you know, you'd expect you'd expect him to be somewhere at the top, but you know, um, circumstances must on that one. Um, but you know, fantastic victory for Rob Collard and Sandy Mitchell. Um, after after the fiasco in the pit lane, um, and whether or not you know who should be released first, who overtook. Who where why we're not the Land Rover came down the pit lane at the wrong time and all this kind of stuff. They still got out ahead of, on on track and you know they still put some seconds between them and the RJN car and um, that's how you win a race. <laughs> I mean you you can't take away from the fact that you know it was another good drive for Rob Collard. Um, yeah. On there because yeah he was he was behind the lead car but the gap was not <laughs> as much as uh, everyone else. And he did have a fairly clear run for a lot of it because they were well ahead of the rest of the pack. But that in itself, all props to him. What I will say in defence of Phil and, 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 and Adam, by the way, is I, I think it might have been car related because they finished fourth last year and only nine seconds off. Johnny Adams pace. So this is where I'm now going to contradict everybody by saying I don't think there was anything wrong with the car because Phil King set fastest race lap. When say so when did he set it? In his stint. <laughs> but he just couldn't unlap himself. No, um, unfortunately, because Adam Ballon obviously just didn't really get on with the car or the track this weekend and fell a lap behind. And also, they also did that thing of not pitting under safety car. They waited for the green before they pitted. So that sort of messed them up even more. So Phil Keane driving it, as we all know how good he is, he can't make mm-hmm. up a lap and possibly nearly two laps. He was setting fastest race lap, which is when he can get anywhere. Mm. That explains it. <laughs> that explains quite a lot. I didn't realise they hadn't pitted on both you're listening to the British GT Fan Show. Follow us on social media at BGTF Show. And don't forget to check out our partners, the British GT Fans, on social media at Fans of British GT on Twitter and Instagram, and British GT Fans on Facebook. So now we we look forward. Um, in looking forward, we also look back because the next race and the calendar is Donington Park. Going to have a little bit of a deja vu feeling after after rounds three and four. We're also held at Donington Park on the same same layout, but we're looking forward to the first three hour race in Donington Park's history. Who do we think is going to do well? Whoever's got the favourable BOP and less weight in their car. Uh, Did you want to sound a little less cynical? <laughs> <laughs> depends that's on what, depends on the weather. Yeah, that's, that's who I think is going to do well. Um, <laughs> um, to be quite honest with you, um, the 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 top the top of the board is is quite hard to choose from at the moment. I couldn't if you if you. I mean, I found it hard to pick a winner 
you know, when we we're doing our season previews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ask me again to pick a winner for this season. I still can't pick you a winner. You know, I, let alone one race. So, um, you know, as I say, it's going to be the it's going to be the car with the favourable BOP. It's going to be the car with the less weight, and the, and and the drivers get to grip with the track the quickest. Don't that's forget fine. the strategy. Oh yeah, yeah, that's good. Gonna play pitch strategy a big well. part. Yeah, there you go. That's that's my prediction for for, the, for yeah. That's who I think is going to win the race. Okay, done. <laughs> I don't know if that's the one. That's the answer wanted, but <laughs> that's the answer I'm giving. Huh? I'm going to have a slightly wuss-out answer. I actually genuinely don't mind who wins because it's been such good watching over the last couple of races that I'm happy I'm just just watching it. Um, I think it's going to be... There's going to be a lot of factors in into play. Um, I think it's possibly easier to to look at GT4, the GT3. Um, but I think, you know, you can't really discount anyone at the moment because I think everyone's had great races and not so great races. And it's it's going to be about as much what's happening on the day as, as how things have been going generally. So as Gaz said, it, it's going to be really hard to, to choose. But everyone's now, or mostly everyone, um, dependent upon who we get in the cars that have not got permanent seats. Um, They've got the experience of the track, having been at Donington already. So even those for who it was the first time have got that experience under their belt. So I think we can possibly expect, hopefully not as much aggression as as brands, but um, I think we could probably expect expect people to push it out a bit further and and really see where it can go. I'm actually gonna pick a I'm actually gonna pick a car this time. Oh, Mr. Fencer is actually not sitting on the fence. I'm not gonna I'm not it's not even gonna be McLaren either. Here we go. I am going for Ram Racing's first win of the season with Sam Deham and Patrick Kajala. They got no success okay. penalty to take on their third pit stop. And I think they did a they had a decent round at the last race at Donington. I think it's about time that they win a race, and I think that they are looking the most likely to win the three-hour race at Donington. Is it three uh, mandatory uh, stops? My question here is, do you reckon with a little bit of careful driving, Rob Collard could get to one hour 27 minutes on a tank? It's only six minutes longer than he managed in race in, in round three. Could I think there's a minimum. I believe there's a minimum stint time. Could they? That's yeah, a minimum, which is half not maximum. Race. Yeah, or yeah. Or, uh, or maximum stint time. It could be one of them. Which is going to be about half the race, depending on which class you're in. Yeah, but um, I don't. I don't think. I don't think a GT3 car will ever do an hour and a tank of gas. I didn't reckon it'd do an hour and twenty minutes until Rob Collard did it. <laughs> They've they've only got a fine six minutes. That's that's lift and coast from the start. And if you're lifting and coasting from the start and you save a 110-second pit stop, it's going to pay itself back, isn't it? Could do, but... And it's going to be in track position. Yeah. It'd be a risky strategy, I think, but 
given it how was, it, it was a risky strategy when they tried it at, at Donington Park last time. It's I think depending on track conditions, where he is in the race, if he's got if he's got clean air in front of him and bothering his rear end, uh, then yeah, probably he, could, he might he, he might be able to push the he might be able to push the fuel limit. Um, but you know, I think whenever whenever you watch other series and stuff like that, you, you don't see a GT3 car going much going past an hour. Yeah, so as you say, you know, he, he did he probably he did an hour and twenty it, but. Mm. I would be very surprised if they can make make it last anywhere near an hour and a half. You know, I know you say it's only six six minutes, but yeah. I'm just going through the regulations. Yeah. So, you know, if, it could be possible, but as I say, I, I didn't I didn't think a GT3 car could do much over an hour. So to to find out it did an hour and twenty is oh yeah, as I as I said in the last episode is, and I quote the goddamned Energizer Bunny. I've slept since then, mate. So. No, that's fair enough. <laughs> but uh, in in GT4, while Andrew's checking the rules to find out whether my strategic brain fart will work, I've got the um, three-hour race format. If you want it, right? Give it to us. Right. So, rule three point one point four point one: any stops involve a driver change, two or three driver crews, and slash or refueling are subject to mandatory pit stop time. Mm-hmm. During the race, the car must make a minimum of three pit stops, each of which include a driver change. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Time penalties added from the previous race will be enforced at the last mandatory, mandatory pit stop only. So it's straight down to flat out pace, who's fastest? Because we're going to have no tyre concerns and no fuel concerns. They're going to chop it up into yeah. If you're doing three stops, uh, there's no there's no there's no just zero fuel anyway. Just dump it in and burn it. What's it going to be? Is forty five for for three? Hang on it for two car driver entries. The number of driver changes are free, except that the maximum drive time per driver is a hundred minutes over the full three hours. So now, so yeah, in theory, apart from the fact you've got to make three stops, you could do it. There's nothing to stop you stopping after five minutes because there's no there's no minimum pit window on this race. Yeah, yeah. No, but you've got to spend the time in pit. You've got to spend the time, the three trips down pit lane. So you're better off splitting a three hour race into forty five minute stints. Forty five minutes change driver and tires. Forty five minutes, so an hour and a half change drivers and tires again, and then. Two hours fifteen, change driver and tires again for a forty-five minute run to the flag. Break I up. I think, I think that's a simple way of looking at it, but I think you'll if you if you if you watch a lot of the, you know, the endurance series and stuff like that, there's always, there's always someone doing another bit strategy. You know, they, I mean, Mark did it the other year when Morrison Parfit won in two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. They went light, and they actually I think they actually made an extra pit stop. They went light and just went hell for leather, mm. and they won that race by a minute. Yeah, I mean the other the other way to do it is if you can do. I mean they've got to change drivers at every stop, which means they wouldn't be able to do it straight off. They wouldn't be able to do it straight off 140 minutes in one hit. No, but get in as close as you can to the hour. 
and get the track position ready for the final hour safety car. So when everybody else pits because they've been holding off, you feel to the front. As long as there's no safety car. <laughs> mm. I think like this year, although the Silverstone's spread out in it, so it's probably stand less chance of safety car at Silverstone. Sorry, yeah. wrong circuit. I'm thinking three hours of Silverstone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would probably say I pretty much guarantee a safety car during at some point during this race. I can almost yes. guarantee that anybody will come in during that because it's, a, it's the easiest way of making a pit stop. Want to be brave and hope for the best. Right. So, and in GT4, do we have any picks in GT4? A yellow Aston. Yeah, TS4 Aston, yeah. I'm Either going one. for Speedworks. Oh. They've consistently improved, and I think they have a good shot. Yep. I don't. Bad shout, actually. I'm bad shout. I'll give you that one, Sarah. I do not think you're wrong. But saying that, I said they were going to win at Dundon, at Browns Hatch, so. They got no success penalty either because they finished fourth, so. Yep. I'm Angus Fender. I'm a McLaren GT3 driver for Two Seas Motorsport, and you're listening to the British GT Fans Show. So we've already done a our guide to Donington Park, but of course we've now been there in a in a COVID world, and we have Gaz with us uh, for for this one who who wasn't involved in the last guide. So we're going to do a bit of a a brief extra to it so that you can get some different opinions. Now, of course, we know that when it comes to arriving at the venue and parking. We said the parking was out the front last time, but COVID has changed that. We're now parking around on the tarmac at the launch pad entrance to the circuit. So you're not parking on grass anymore. You're nice and close to getting in at Hollywood. Um, and once you're in at Hollywood, the first question we've got for you, Gaz, is your three places to go and view. And if you have a camera to take some photos, your, what's your best three places of, of the Donington Park Grand Prix circuit? So. I've only ever attended Donington, I think, as a as a marshal. Well, except for except for going to Download Festival, I've only ever attended it as a marshal. But um, my three favourite places around Donington are yeah. Hollywood, um, around what I would generally class as uh, post four, post six area. So where they've got the spectator banking, they've got the grandstand there, the old hairpin, either side of the track, uh, inside or outside. Um, you in on the inside uh, of the track, going towards Schwantz Curve, you've got an you've got an amazing viewing bank now um, from where they uh, built that back up after the uh, cutting up of Donington Park a few years ago. And across on the other side of the track, again behind the old hairpin, you got a nice little viewing area there, which has generally got some kind of ice cream van, burger van, and you know your, your miniatures are nice and close there as well. Round at the Robert Chicane is my next favourite place to be. Uh, again, either side of the track. Well, I think it's accessible via a tunnel underneath there. So it's easy It's easy to move around once you are there. Get your camera out. Get it. It's a nice little viewing spot, especially if you, you want to see those cars going up onto two wheels. Going back to, to what I said, and I second the locations that, 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 that Gav has said about... I mentioned last time that getting down to the hairpin 
and trying to get that shot of car going one way and plane going the other. Because of the access restrictions that are in place for COVID, the hairpin is now blocked off. You can't actually get all the way down to the bottom. You get about level with the apex on the on the on the outside of the circuit there. So I'm going to have to give you another one. Uh, and the one that I'm going to give you, I told you before about the outside of coppice, which is a great shot. And you get cars cresting and Derby in the background. Fantastic photo. When Sarah and I were at the track for the uh, for the boat race, <laughs> um, we we had a bit of a more of an explore around Coppice Corner. And on the inside, if you come through the tunnel and then immediately turn left, you can get up sort of to the parapet of the tunnel and you get the inside of the corner. You can get a nice panning shot there. And there is a brief section where there's no fences in the way. Um, I'd never used that angle before, never seen it before. Um, but I had a go with it and got some quite nice photos. And around there as well, you can get low enough that you can shoot under the catch fencing, but over the armco of cars coming out of McLean's. I think on the, I think on the inside of the circuit, especially around um, first corner uh, and, and and continuing around to um, Hollywood Redgate. I meant actually first corner. Um, there is no catch fence in there on the inside at all. It's just a uh, it's just a wooden fence. So you find a lot of people on on the inside there as well. Yeah, the catch fencing runs down the straight, but uh, the entrance to Redgate it then ends, and it's a wooden three bar fence all the way down to Schwantz Curve on the inside of the circuit. Yeah, so if you got uh, you're in the habit of getting your camera out, it's probably one of the most ideal places to be. I think. Okay, now we've discussed. Um, food at the venue um things changed around because of covid there's now food vans ice cream vans at various locations around the public areas of the venue the merchandising has moved up next to the hollywood grandstand as well so that's where british gt have their merchandise stand and where msv will be selling their stuff and there's people there that were selling die cast models and whatever so if you want something to commemorate your visit that's the area that you go to. It's obviously all been moved out the paddock because we can't go in there. In terms of eating, as I say, food vans around, you can't get into the restaurant. The next question we have is, if you're there for the weekend, you leave the circuit at six o'clock, Gaz, where do you go to get something to eat? Where do I go? I go to Donington Chippy, Donington Chip Shop. <laughs> it's a bit of a tradition for myself. You know, Saturday night is, is Chip Shop night. I also know of um, a half decent Chinese uh, takeaway inside in Donington as well. I can't give you the name of it though. It's on the same road as the Donington chip shop though. Just explore Donington Village um, a little bit. There's loads of little um, hotels and pubs and stuff like that, which always seem to be packed. Okay, that may not be a good thing at the moment, <laughs> but they always seem to be packed out with people looking for something to eat and 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 stuff like that. I mean, there's a there's a couple of nice little, nice looking pubs just up the road from the from the chip shop. One called the the Bird Cage or something, like that, and one like the Checker Flag or something. Yeah, and they're always again they're always kind of packed out. And sometimes you see um, a couple of drivers hanging around there and a couple of team managers hanging out there. Um, also, just in and around the around the chip shop area as well, we've also got a decent couple of curry houses as well. Yeah, I, I do remember a pretty awesome Vindaloo. In Castle Donington a while a while back, uh, when 
we did this before. I mentioned a pub somewhere between the circuit and um, Loughborough. Two days after we recorded, I did a delivery to a local store around there and drove past it. So I can now give you some more details of it. <laughs> this pub where we had, I mean, it was really nice food. Wasn't cheap, but wasn't too expensive either. It's on the uh, on the A6, as I say, heading from the circuit towards Loughborough. Basically, you go out to the dual carriageway that runs parallel with the motorway. And then up to the new roundabout where they've built the big Amazon warehouse. Turn right there down to the next roundabout and turn right. And it's about two miles down on the left-hand side. It's the Otter at Kegworth. Very worth a visit. Very much worth a visit. So you're there for the weekend. It's not commutable. It might be commutable for you guys. It, it definitely is commutable for me. But we know Andrew, he, he, he has to stay over. And there's people that come from further afield. Where would you stay in that area? For, for 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 a place to either pitch a tent or a hotel or, or or whatever. Again, as a marshal, we've got our own campsite on on site. But um, I believe that Donington do have a a running partnership with a campsite right next to the circuit, um, Donington Farm, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I have camped. I have camped on that campsite. It is very nice. Yeah. Other than that, you've got. Um, loads of hotels up by the airport, which isn't that far away at all. It's like a five, ten minute drive along, basically along, along parallel to the runway. And you've always got like Ibises and Hilton. I think there's a Hilton down there and stuff like that. Yeah, varying price ranges. Donington Village again. Loads of little. Um, there's a there's a Donington Hotel down there. Um, you might find the odd B and B or something like that. Close by, of course, there's Derby and Loughborough, if I remember rightly. Um, so you're always going to find some, some, something around there to match your price range. Okay, and now you're coming from, from the Birmingham area. We're coming from, from slightly further north. But the routes that we take to other circuits will, 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 will coincide with, with people coming from further afield. Uh, the other thing that we ask people for is a recommendation for if you're driving to and from the venue and it's a long journey, where do you stop for a bit of a rest, something to eat, cup of coffee, whatever? So if you're if you're headed home, would you would you stop on that journey or would you just crack on and get it done? No, normally um, for me, coming from the Black Country, I I it's a, it's a it's a, no it's an hour's drive for me um, normally in the morning and once I've got everything packed away on the evening. Um, the only Places I generally tend to stop is the McDonald's at Ashby Delazouche. Which has been joined, by the way, by there's now a KFC there, Starbucks, yeah. Rex, because they built a new petrol station. Yeah, yeah, they have, yeah. Um, I suppose if you're coming from the southwest, you don't, you, you, don't, you don't get very many service stations in around Birmingham. It's all before or after. So... If you're looking for motorway service areas in that area, Hopwood Park is is the one that would come from the southwest. That's the yeah, or Langley. Um, so if you're coming from the southwest, actually, there's a there's a nice little there's a new service station down the M5, which is some it's all kind of farm produce, farm produce and stuff like that. It's all been re- completely rebuilt. I'm struggling to remember where it is, <laughs> but um, that was half decent when the last time I was. This would be Gloucester Services that I've been singing the praises of for every episode. Ah, right, okay. There you go. Um, yeah. you're, you're right. It, I say, it is expensive. Um, yeah. I mean, I've said a lot of things aren't cheap. Gloucester Services is expensive. 
but it is the kind of place where if you stop in there for breakfast on the way up and you ask them what the sausage used to be called, they can name the pig. <laughs> because it all comes from their own farm. Yeah, motorway service stations, I always say they're, they're, they're twice the price of what you'd ever pay anywhere else. <laughs> Um, because it's a you know, captive audience, isn't it? I mean, I, I think if you just if you, if you did a bit of research, you could find somewhere just you know five ten minutes off the motorway to to get something decent okay. to eat. And coming from the east, so for example, if you were coming back from Snetterton, where would you stop on that journey? Coming back from Snetterton, cool. well, yeah, because it's it's basically the same yeah. in reverse, isn't it? <laughs> um, where do I stop at Snetterton? Uh, I st- I generally stop generally try and get something to eat. Thetford, I always, always stop, you know, again, <laughs> quick and easy. McDonald's at Thetford. Yeah. Um, again, even easier now. They've built one just outside the circuit. Have they? Oh, yeah. yes, of course they have. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we, we visited on media, on media day. So, yeah, it's probably going to be that, when I, which I visit. And then it's kind of like the fuel back home. You know what I mean? So it's a three-hour journey for me to so this one appears to be falling on me slightly. <laughs> okay, so as we, we, we said last time, if you're coming from the south or heading back to the south, my recommendation for going that way is Junction 16 of the M1, uh, Red Lion Bar Grill Truck Stop. I've mentioned it several times. Great food, low prices, adult beverages for those that can partake. As I said last time, bit boisterous in the evenings but on a weekend you should be okay there won't be a million trucks parked in the truck park heading north once you get past sheffield because i mean sheffield is an hour away you're not going to need to break on that one if you're going further north they've just built a new service station at leeds leeds skelton lake and that's extra so that's going to have uh it'll have something like nando's or something like that in there as well as the usual chains um, or there's Weatherby further up, uh, which is usual moto fast food stuff as well. Um, going even further up, you get to Leeming Bar and there is a, a big, again, truck stop petrol station type situation there with a cafe in it. It's it's proper greasy spoon stuff, but it's, it's cheap and plentiful and it's served with a smile. Um, so that would be that. Heading up past Manchester Way. Um, obviously you've got just up the motorway in, in sort of the Manchester area, you've got all the major chains that you can go to, including like TGIs and Frankie and Benny's and, and, and things like that. So when you get close to being hungry, just, just hit the Google because to be honest, I'm not going to tell you every truck stop in the UK and I'm, I'm, I'm getting branded here. <laughs> um, and then, as I say, Gaz has, has dealt with, with going in the other direction. So the final thing that Sarah would be saying here um, is, of course, that if you are planning on attending, due to the restrictions with COVID, you can't buy tickets on the gate. You need to buy in advance. Likewise, if you're looking to park your vehicle inside the venue, there is limited disabled parking at Coppice Corner. Um, you need to provide a blue badge at the gate to get in for, for the disabled parking. No blue badge, no access. Um, but first come, first serve for about 10, 15 cars in that, in, that, in that area. If you want to park a bit further around overlooking Old Hairpin, then you're in Starkey Parking. It's a £5 a day cost upgrade on the MSV website. It needs to be paid for in advance. We tried to upgrade Starkey Parking 
four or five days before the event um, when we went down for the last one and it was completely sold out. So we had to walk. So if you want it, get in there nice and early. Yeah, I didn't even realise that was open when I was last at Donington Park. When we saw people parking up there, we were quite surprised. It's 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 a good view from from up there. You see quite a bit, and obviously, if you if you're parking your car in the middle of the circuit, it makes a whole lot a whole lot more accessible. I mean, Sarah and I we came in at the launch pad entrance, got down to their hairpin, and then worked our way back. Um, my Apple Watch decided that I was doing wondrous, wondrous exercise, and why can't I do this every day? <laughs> um, but it was it was quite a hike and we were fairly tired by the end of it i could barely move the next day um so it might be worthwhile considering if you're planning on spending a day there and that's it for this episode of the british gt fan show don't forget that our guest special episode for this time with academy motorsport gt4 driver matt cowley is available now from all good podcast providers or from our website just go to podcast.bgtfshow.co.uk And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the British GT Fan Show. Remember, the show's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website, www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media, at bgtfshow. British GT Fan Show is a Storm Vixen Creative and RPS-driven media production. To find out more, visit our website at www.bgtfshow.co.uk.